Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. Hello, I'm Shara Dibley from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre. Welcome to our second episode on research partnerships in Southeast Asia. Today I'm talking to Professor Michael Dibley from the School of Public Health about a large-scale project he did in Myanmar on the relationship between food security and nutrition. Michael has spent over three decades working on research about the double burden of under and overnutrition in many countries across the Asia-Pacific. He's also directed research assessing the magnitude of childhood and adolescent obesity, micronutrient deficiencies in women and children, infant and young child feeding practices, and a wide range of associated environmental, social, and behavioral risk factors and their effects on health in South, Southeast Asia, and Africa. And in the interests of full disclosure, he also happens to be my father. So welcome, Michael. Thank you, Tashara. So today I'd like to talk to you about some of your more recent work in Myanmar. But before we jump into the details about the project, I think it would be really useful for our listeners to have a sense of the scale of your experience working in partnership in Southeast Asia. Do you think you could summarize what experience you've had working collaboratively with partners in the region over the course of your career? I think that uh, nearly all my research in Southeast Asia and in other places as well has been built around partnership. Perhaps this really got launched when I started my career in Southeast Asia working for the Ford Foundation and I was a project officer so I wasn't a researcher, but I was trying to foster groups across Southeast Asia, and particularly Indonesia and Thailand, to develop research programs to address what was then a major public health issue, which was trying to improve child survival. So I guess I started out my research career in the region from the perspective of trying to understand what local groups needed and how they might develop their capacity how they might need more support in order to be able to formulate interesting questions that would address things that were important locally. So this experience would have contributed to, I suppose, you building up a set of values or principles around how to work collaboratively with research partners. Could you give us a sense of what values and practices underpin your approach to research partnership? I think that um, you're right, that Starting from that perspective meant a couple of things. One, I, I had to work with those partners to understand what were their priorities and how did they see what were the solutions. So I think having a dialogue with people and being able to understand where they're coming from is really a key element in partnership, but also understanding exactly what sort of technical skills they had and where they might benefit from other inputs was also an important part and working with them to build their capacity to be able to to do the research all of those things were integral to the work I was doing with the Ford Foundation and I think it just started my approach to working with people in Southeast Asia. So in October 2014 you were part of a team of researchers led by Dr Bill Pritchard from the School of Geosciences here at the University of Sydney who were awarded an Australian Research Council discovery project titled Explaining Food and Nutrition Insecurity Under Conditions of Rapid Economic and Social Change, a Nutrition Sensitive Analysis of Livelihood Decision Making in Rural Myanmar. 
Just before we go into the details of how, how you implemented the project, could you give us a brief overview of what it was about and what the team was trying to find out? Well, I think that there's a sort of a disconnect between agriculture and nutrition and that people have recognised this over a period of time where agricultural policies have sort of emphasised increasing yields and focused on cash crops and that doesn't meet the nutritional needs of farming communities where they need a diverse diet. So trying to understand how that disconnect between agricultural nutrition was playing out in Myanmar was the purpose of the study. And to do that, uh, we selected three different areas as case studies. Uh, one was in Chin State, which is a mountainous area. The other was a couple of townships in each of these places, a couple of townships in Magwe, which were dry zone. They were actually on the edge of the Ayuradi River. And then the last area was in the delta in Ayuradi State. And that was closer to Yangon and therefore a different agricultural, but also more open to influences from the rapidly growing urban centre. We also had a qualitative component that sort of explored the issues that we brought up or found in the quantitative surveys. We did the two surveys separated by 18 months to try and capture some of the effects of change in season on food security. So there were, there were lots of challenges. Some of the areas were extremely difficult to access. So in Chin is a mountainous area. And uh, I was pretty horrified seeing the videos from our interviewers who went into the survey sites on motorbikes. So yeah, there were lots of challenges in terms of being able to implement this. So could you describe for me your role in the project and how it fit with the other investigators who were involved? So my role in this ARC project was to uh, develop the quantitative component of it, which was a series of uh, surveys. The team worked together to develop the survey instruments, but I was and the School of Public Health were responsible for implementing the data collection in the field. And who were the other investigators involved and what were their roles? So the other investigators uh, on the grant were Professor Bill Pritchard, who was leading the project, who's responsible for the overall management of the project and for the qualitative research component. And the uh, other investigator was Professor Anu Ramahan uh, from the University of Western Australia. She's a development economist and was involved in the analysis of the quantitative data. My role was mainly to do with making sure that we collected the survey data effectively. So what stage is this project at? Is it finished? You wrapped it up? What are some of the key findings? So the, all the data collection in the study has been completed and a final report has been prepared. And I think there's about eight papers that have been published or in the process of being published. Um, but there are still data analyses ongoing. So I guess one of the key findings is that these relationships between agricultural activities and nutritional status are pretty complex and are very uh, context-specific. So, for example, one of the hypotheses that we would have looked at, we, we looked at was um, if there was greater diversity in agricultural productivity in their farming communities, would that translate into improved nutrition? And 
what you find is so that I guess agricultural produce is being in part consumed by the rural families, but in part it can be sold. And so crop diversity um, was leased in areas that were actually better off, wealthier, because they, were, they produced a single crop and they were able to sell it, whereas crop diversity was probably greatest in Chin, and yet this community didn't have access to markets, and so they were unable to sell as much produce, and they were therefore consuming more of their produce, but it wasn't still enough to meet all their nutritional needs. So who did you end up working with? Well, in leading up to this, I knew that we had secured the grant. But at the same time, I was working on another project in Indonesia um, with a partner, Dr. Umifamida, from the Regional Food and Nutrition Centre of the uh, Southeast Asian Minister's Education Office, or SIMIO. And Umi had... uh, hired as a postdoc to work with us on the project in Indonesia, a recent graduate from her program who uh, came from Myanmar, and his name was uh, Dr. Min Wai Tet. And Tet had previously worked for the Ministry of Health in Myanmar and then had come to uh, the Simio Center to study for his PhD. And uh, I realized that there was a good opportunity to extend the work that I was doing with Ted into this new project because he had lots of insights and understanding about the local context, what were the processes required to get approval for research and what were the sort of key institutions that might be able to help you implement the surveys. So there was a bit of serendipitous discovery, but it was... He was quite skilled in conducting field research and he was doing that in another environment in Indonesia, um, which was further confirmation that, you know, he was most probably going to be able to help us implement this field activity and um, make it a success. He was very interested in the project and so it was a good partnership to start off. He helped us identify uh, two other uh, organizations together with um, my PhD student, Miet Han Hong, and uh, they were the um, University of Community Health in Magwe. This was a Ministry of Health, um, originally a training center, and turned into a university in the late 1990s and trained uh, undergraduates uh, in a Bachelor of Community Health. And these people who graduated from that program, went out and became health assistants. And so they sort of really ran much of the primary health care services in in Myanmar. And uh, the other is the University of Public Health in Yangon, which was set up in 2007, and that was uh, an institute that was training at slightly higher level in Masters of Public Health. So it was sort of upgrading skills of people within the Ministry of Health. So they were our two main partners. What were the role of the University of Community Health and the University of Public Health in Yangon? Were they contributing different things to the project? So they were going to help us uh, implement the surveys. The three case sites are scattered across the country. So the University of Community Health was able to provide us with a workforce because between when their students graduate to when they get a placement, there's often a gap of several months. And so we were able to hire fresh graduates from their Bachelor of Community Health program 
to be the interviewers and the um, supervisors in the field. Uh, and so they covered two of the states, Chin State and Magwe, which was where they were located. And in the south, uh, we worked with the University of Public Health, and there the junior faculty participated in the data collection in the um, Aredi Delta region. The way you describe it, it just doesn't sound possible to collect this sort of data without solid partnerships. Uh, absolutely. If you're going to collect data from you know, 3,000 households, you need to be able to work closely with institutional partners in the country that you're going to do that survey, and that certainly was the case. And, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of local information about how difficult is it to access CHIN. We didn't really know that. We had a vague idea that it was going to be more difficult, but the extent of that problem we really only learned about. We made sure that we recruited people from that state in the team so that they would also help us understand the local conditions and what might be required. But I think also TET's um, networks within Myanmar were also important. And um, that meant that, for example, he had uh, former colleagues who were working in some of these different district uh, in, the, in, the health, in, in the community health offices in the different states. And so he was able to ring them and find out more information about if we go here, what will the access be? How difficult would it be? What sort of permissions do we need to get? All of that sort of local information would have been very difficult for for us to do without the partnership with them. What would you say is one of the most challenging parts of this relationship that you had to deal with through this project? I think one of the big challenges was that at that stage, these sort of universities um, in Myanmar did not have very much experience with conducting surveys. So there was a big gap in terms of their understanding of what was needed in order to be able to successfully implement the survey. So that meant that we had to often spend a lot of time sort of explaining what we needed and making sure that things would be able to move ahead smoothly as we planned. And what would you say were some of the most successful aspects of the partnership and what made them a success? Well, I think that some of the successes out of the partnership was that Ted, who worked with us from the beginning, when we started to implement the project, learned a lot out of the experience and was able to bring some of those experiences uh, into other activities that he did in Myanmar. So I think that... Um, we collected data using um, programs on tablets. That was a new experience for him, and he learned a lot about how to do that and eventually was able to bring that into a major national-level uh, data collection that he was involved with with the Ministry of Health, the National Micronutrient and Food Consumption Survey. He also learned a lot about uh, dealing with large data sets and with data analysis. I think that for the students who participated, or the fresh graduates who participated, they learned a lot about data collection through the training and through the actual implementation. They all became uh, friends of mine on Facebook. And so for a period, my Facebook was totally dominated by messages from Myanmar. But we used that to allow them to, uh, you know, update what was happening in the field. But they just spontaneously 
became friends of mine, and I still got quite a large number of friends from Myanmar, and I can see their stories and where they've gone since, and a lot of them still talk about that very fondly, about their experience in working with us and collecting the data. And how about for you? Have you been able to build on these relationships to further your research? Yes, I think that one of the important outcomes for me was that the Ministry of Health and Sports invited me to provide technical assistance on this national survey that I mentioned, the Micronutrient and Food Consumption Survey. And I think that that opportunity wouldn't have come up. Right at the moment, uh, things are a little bit of a dead end because of COVID-19 and all the complications. But I hope that as soon as COVID-19 is over, that we'll um, continue and hopefully work with uh, the Simeo uh, Regional Food and Nutrition Centre and uh, with TET and partners in the National Nutrition Committee in Myanmar to develop new projects. So, I mean, COVID-19 is affecting all of us at the moment. And it's not an easy time for academics to be building partnerships. But for those who are thinking about it, either now or on the other side of the pandemic, what suggestions or tips would you have for, for people seeking to, to work in this way? I think that uh, COVID-19 pandemic restrictions, travel restrictions have taught me that I can do a lot of work uh, remotely, much more than I had perhaps thought that was possible beforehand. So we've maintained um, close contact with TET and continue to meet weekly with him on a Zoom call to discuss different aspects of the analysis and the work that we're continuing on this and other projects. I think that if we get over COVID-19 and we're able to go back to the field, I certainly think that it's important to try and get in-country, meet people, and begin to explore your ideas early. So look for all of those sorts of opportunities that um, might provide funding to allow you to do that. Uh, I think that uh, having some skills in language is also really important. I certainly know that my experience in Indonesia is that it's much easier to develop partnerships and to conduct research effectively if you have those language skills. So, yeah, trying to find the opportunities to get into country, to meet people, and to understand the situation and begin to develop those partnerships in person, but being able to realise that you can actually extend them by using these new remote communication technologies that I think people didn't really appreciate before the pandemic. Great, thank you. Some great tips there. It's reassuring to know that there are still ways of building connections even when we can't travel. Thanks so much for your time today and all the best with any future partnerships that you have in Myanmar. Just a reminder, if you're interested in learning more about any of these projects, visit our archives where we have episodes that go into further details. You've been listening to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our SEAC Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.